This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. He, he wants <laughs> nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you by the good folks at Bet Rivers. Remember, go to the Bet Rivers app for all of your wagering needs as we get ready to start another football season and go down the stretch with the pennant races and obviously the postseason in baseball, college football, whatever it is that you like to wager on, go to the uh, all-inclusive Bet Rivers app. And remember, uh, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey. Play Sugar House in Connecticut. And uh, my podcast is the exclusive property of the folks at Bet Rivers. So um, a couple of things to get to before I get to the news of the day. We're not going to start football stuff yet. I told you we will start it later in the month. We will start it two weeks out from the start of the season. And obviously, we do a lot of work on the NFL and college football throughout the season. So uh, we will do that uh, as we always do. We will cover the NFL uh, from uh, soup to nuts, as we always do. Now, uh, two things. One, I promised I'd give you my thoughts on Oppenheimer once I saw it. I went to see it last night. I saw it in IMAX. Um, I am not a... Christopher Nolan groupie, so you're going to get an objective view here. Um, I know the uh, Oppenheimer story because I've read a lot of books from that period. I also have read a lot of Truman stuff, and it's intertwined with Oppenheimer. You know about the rather frothy, to say the least, relationship between Truman and Oppenheimer, the relationship between Oppenheimer and Einstein, etc. Um, the movie is three hours long, which I object to, number one, because I always think the tighter, the better. I believe that uh, if you look at a movie objectively, you can always take out some things that you don't need rather than have a three-hour movie. But I can tell you, this was not a three-hour movie where I saw people fidgeting in their seats and I was in a crowded theater. Um, it went quickly because it was such a compelling story and because the acting and the uh, cinematography was so good. This movie is really well done. Um, it's got some things that it didn't need. Uh, it could have stayed away from a couple of things and come in at a PG-13 versus an R, which would have let a lot more people see it. They didn't do that, so it got an R rating. Um, Oppenheimer is a very complex individual, which you see. 
is really to, and I don't want to give the movie away in any way because I know a lot of people want to see it. Um, and I think it's a movie you should see in the theater because there's a reason why you want to see this movie in IMAX with some of the things that go on and obviously the explosive nature of the movie with the, this is obviously, you know the story of Oppenheimer who becomes the man who shepherds the Manhattan Project and is responsible for the bombs that are dropped. And then he has the fall from grace because of his past and his brushes, although they were un he was unfairly, unfairly stripped of his security clearances. He was always loyal to America. That's been proved out through the years. John F. Kennedy made a very strong vote pro Oppenheimer at the time he felt he was being railroaded and he was. Um, they the bottom line is you learn about the complex nature of Oppenheimer and his genius, his weaknesses and his strengths, his brilliance and everything else, which comes through very strongly. His, you know, he, his quantum theories and, his, and, you know, the idea of a physicist, which is way beyond all of us, you know, who don't have any expertise in those areas, but he was a genius. Uh, clearly a troubled genius, but a genius without any question. Uh, he has his triumphs, and then he has his fall from grace, and then his vindication, which came much later. Um, the bottom line is he was looking for forgiveness after creating something that was so destructive and so world-changing. He wanted forgiveness. It wasn't going to come, as his wife says to him in the movie, you did all this for forgiveness that was never going to come. And of course, Truman labeled him a crybaby because he had remorse for what happened and was against the hydrogen bomb. He did not want this technology, this explosive technology to run rampant. And he had great fears that it would. And obviously that's the storyline here. You have Oppenheimer, the student and the teacher and the brilliant physicist and the people he meets and what he does and how he lives his life, his relationships, his women, everything else. And then you have the building, the successful building of the bombs through the Miami Project, the targeting and the dropping of the bombs, and then what came afterwards, and America looking to take away Oppenheimer's power so that it could not be used somewhere else because they didn't trust him. They thought he could be co-opted by another country, which was not ever going to happen if you understood what was in Oppenheimer's heart. The movie is going to produce Oscars. I don't think there's any question. Um, there are many brilliant roles, and you'll see a lot of very prominent people who you have seen in a lot of series, who you have seen in a lot of different roles in this movie. Many, I mean countless, this is an all-star cast. And 
there's two roles that just jump off the screen. One, obviously, is Murphy, who is the movie, Oppenheimer, who has had success already in series and will be a big, big star off this movie. If, he, if you don't know him already, he's going to be a very big star off this movie. Number two, and this is not a secret to anyone who likes movies, Robert Downey Jr. is one of the brilliant actors. In, we know his, his weaknesses. We know his troubles and everything else. He is one of the brilliant actors in all of cinema. He, his performance is without question an Oscar performance and steals the movie. He, his performance, I mean, Matt Damon gives a good performance. Emily Blunt gives a wonderful performance. There are many smaller performances that are really brilliant. But the two main characters are Robert Downey and Murphy. And Murphy did a brilliant job, and Downey did an even better one. Downey's performance is unbelievable in this, in this role. In the role of Strauss, it is just an aunt who was the head of the Atomic Energy Commission, uh, and who double crosses Oppenheimer. Uh, th- this is uh, just a unbelievable. I, I thought Matt Damon was really good in his role as General Groves, um, but Downey's performance is unreal. If it didn't win an Academy Award, they shouldn't. They shouldn't vote. That's how good it is. The movie is long. Like I said, I'm always for brevity in the movies. I don't want a three-hour movie. I think it was a little hard to follow early on as they set the path and the characters. I thought it was a little hard to follow, Um, especially if you don't have a background in the information. I think it could be very hard to follow. Um, But otherwise... The cinematography, the use of black and white, the explosiveness, what goes on in uh, Oppenheimer's mind, uh, the drama in the movie. I mean, it's a, it's a great movie. Uh, let's be honest. The guy put together a, an incredible movie. I mean, it's gotten wonderful reviews. I don't go by reviews. I don't read them. But I know it got very good reviews. Um, and it is a, you know, a very very terrifically constructed movie. It really is. It's a, it's a wonderful movie. It's, it, it, he did an incredible job. Like I said, I'm not a Christopher Nolan groupie. There are a lot of them out there. Um, he put together a tremendous, tremendous movie, which will be highly regarded for many, many years. I think it'll be a while before the C, uh, hits TV. Uh, when it does, you'll have to pay 20 bucks for it, but, and it's worth doing that. But go see it on the big screen. Go see it in IMAX because it's worth seeing in that regard. And this is a very important historical movie. That's all there is to it. It's a lot about our nature. It's a lot about our country. It's a lot about what we went through at that time. And it's also ushered in a new age, which we still have with us now. Talks about now in this time of artificial intelligence and the fear that people have about where Artificial intelligence could run amok. It shows you that man can create something that 
can actually overwhelm man if it gets out of control. And it can get out of control or fall into the wrong hands. And that's a big part of this because Oppenheimer, after using his brilliance in all his quantum theories and everything else and his genius, created something that he had tremendous remorse for. And also, like I said, he wanted forgiveness that was never going to come. And Einstein says something at the end of the movie which puts the whole thing in perspective, which I won't give away because it gives away the movie. Uh, But go see it. And you can't take your kids to it if they're young. First of all, it's explosive. Secondly, it's graphic. So it's graphic in... In, other, in many ways, including sexual. So, you know, it's an R-rated movie. And it deserves an R-rating. But it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. The other thing was, I tweeted about it, but I didn't do anything on the podcast with it. Uh, what happened in Saratoga on Saturday was just horrific. I'm very uh, familiar with Maple Leaf Mel. And if you don't know the story, um, Coach Parcells bought a, he, bought, he has a bunch of horses. Um, he always summers in Saratoga, and he's been in the horse business. He and I got into it together, and then when he came to the Jets, they felt we needed to split up from, because there was a conflict. They felt it was a conflict of interest, the NFL did. Um, and so we split the stable then. He kept the August on name. August on farm was our uh, we had horses in the early 90s together uh, under that name and those silks. He kept them. And he's run on the August Orland Farm since then. Um, he, has, he bought a New York bread that obviously had a world of talent of Philly. Not incredibly bred, but a beautiful, well-balanced, incredibly fast Philly. She was five for five, and she was moving up to the test, which is a great grade one sprint at Saratoga, which was going to make her, le- make her legacy and also make her worth a lot of money as a broodmare. She's undefeated. She had never had a horse in front of her. I thought she would win that race. I didn't think there was any way she wouldn't win that race. Um, she was steps away from winning the race. She had put the field away. She was on her way to her sixth win. She had never had a horse in front of her in her career, and she had never lost. She was maybe 20 feet from the wire when she broke down. And she didn't just break down because she completely shattered her right leg to the point where when I watched it on television, I wasn't in Saratoga, not only was I horrified, but I knew she was going to have to be put down. She was put down. And you have to realize the other part of the story, the trainer was an assistant Engelhardt, who had horses with Bell, he gave the horse to Melanie Giddens. The horse was named after her. She and the horse shared a very special relationship. She also was a cancer survivor of a very serious cancer that she had. She survived that. She trained this horse very well. And she had to sit through and live through this, which was as horrific as anything that a horse person or anybody could go through. I mean, the people at the Whitney, the Whitney crowd of maybe 45,000 in Saratoga the other day were, were just horrified 
I mean, everyone was horrified. It was as bad a thing as we could ever see. This beautiful, talented filly, you know, inches away from her sixth consecutive win and a win that was going to make her a very big star. And her leg shatters. This kind of thing is inexplicable. Nobody did anything wrong. This is part of, unfortunately, part of athletics, but it's also part of horse racing where you have very talented, very fast animals on very spindly legs carrying upwards of 1,000, sometimes up to 1,200 pounds. And these things don't happen often, but they can happen. No, I don't know if she took a bad step. I don't know if she, the leg just, I, I don't know the answer. Okay, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer. But the injury, horses have to be able to stand to have their circulation and really to live properly. And this horse also was in so much pain that they had to do what was merciful and put her out of her misery because her leg was catastrophically injured. It was uh, as bad a thing as we've ever seen on the track. Uh, and this horse will be remembered for a long time because while she was not in the class of a ruffian who we know had the match race after a brilliant career in dominating fillies at classic distances and winning the Philly Triple Crown, she had a match race against Fool's Pleasure and suffered an injury and had to be uh, euthanized after uh, they tried surgery. The great ruffian. This uh, uh, Maple Leaf Mountain was not ruffian. I'm not trying to make her ruffian. But she also was a wonderful sprinter who was one of the best New York breads I've ever seen. And also never had a horse in front of her at a call in her entire career. She was about to be six for six. She had a lot of great days ahead of her and watched what happened in horror. Just, you know, there's, sometimes there's no explanation and no words. We'll come back with your emails right after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. That's where to send the emails. Um, before I get to them, let me say this about the Yankees. There's nothing to say about the Mets. As I told you maybe 10 days ago, there was no reason to watch the Mets again. And I meant it. And they're playing like that. I mean, who knows when they'll win another game uh, or why. So there's no reason to even consider or, talk, or waste your breath on the Mets the rest of the season. They took care of that. As for the Yankees, it's going to be a tough road to get to the postseason. There's no question. They are going to need their pitching to carry them there. That offense cannot carry them there. The Rizzo thing just tells you how messed up the Yankees are now, that it took them two months to realize something was wrong with Rizzo. I mean, it has you shaking your heads about the Yankees. They have shown a little life offensively they did in the Houston series. Oh, let's be honest, though. A lot of that rally yesterday from 5-1, to 5-5 five, five, and then to a 9-7 loss was because Houston lost the plate. Their pitches walked 10 guys and hit another guy. Most of those runs came in courtesy of walks. It wasn't like the Yankees exploded offensively. They don't explode offensively. 
They need a six or seven game winning streak. They need one very soon. Or they could find themselves in a hole they can't get out of in September. As we get deeper into August here, they have got to put together a very good 10 games where they go 8-2 and two or 9-1. and one. And I don't know if this team has that in them. If they do, they're going to get it from the pitching staff. All right, Dave in Delaware starts us off. How do you think George would operate the modern Yankees? The tax and draft picks impacts are much more prohibitive than they were when he ran the team. True. But I think George only knew one way to run the team, and that was aggressively. Hal does not run the team <clears throat> aggressively. He runs the team with one eye on the payroll and one eye on the profits and another eye on the standings. George had both eyes on the standings. George thought in terms of winning and nothing else. And I don't think that would have changed even in the more modern game. Uh, Mike in Bridgewater. I always thought Pete Alonso was a great fit for the Mets and the city and figured he would be a lot, uh, a lock for, uh, to be around a long time. Given the direction of the team, I'm not sure anymore. Do you think the Mets will trade him or will he still be the part of the long-term plan? I don't think this is telling tales out of school. There is some relationship problems, and there have been some relationship problems inside that Met team this year. It has happened last year. There were some issues. I'm not going to get into the particulars about between whom, but there were some issues last year. Even with the good season, there were issues last year. There are issues, more issues this year. Okay, that has to be straightened out. This team has got to pull all in the same direction, and this team has not. First of all, this year is a complete waste, but this team was not pulling in the same direction, and there's some personality issues that have to be ironed out. If that means some couple guys got to leave, they got to leave. I think it's a long shot that Alonzo leaves, but I wouldn't say it's impossible. I don't think it will happen, though. Rich, as a Yankee fan, a lot of people ask if uh, they should fire Cashman or Boone. I think the failures are symptomatic of an ownership regime that is not willing to build or buy a championship-caliber team. Correct. The reason why Cashman and Boone have not taken it on the chin is because the ownership mentality has changed. They showed you that this year. They were not aggressive in any way at the trade deadline when they desperately needed offensive help. They did not go out and turn over every stone. They did not go out and do anything to make this team better. They did virtually nothing. They brought in a reliever. Um, their mentality has changed, and that's why Cashman will be here. And listen, they might get to a point if they fail this year and think changing Boone is the answer, but it's not. He's not the problem. He's not the solution. He's not the problem. 
Mike, as someone who is a longtime fan of horse racing like you, I have to admit that the Maple Leaf Mill gut-wrenching tragedy has me rethinking the sport. I do not feel the same way. I understand why people do. I think it's very hard to digest the kind of tragedy we saw that day. I don't want to just say it's part of the game because it's not. No one wants it to be part of the game. It's something that has to be dealt with, but I understand as someone who has been an owner for many, many years and currently has some, fortunately has a couple of very good horses. Um, these horses are treated incredibly well. We care for them like family members. We love these horses. We give them the best of everything. We spare no expense for these horses in how they travel, in how they are cared for, in the uh, vets they see, in the uh, way they are dealt with day to day. These horses, if you would go to a barn, like a top barn, like a Mott barn or a McGahee or, you know, Pletcher or any of those, you would see how organized they are and how the, uh, the horses are 100% the only thought on anybody's mind. The care and the training and the nurturing of these horses, that's it. There's no answer for tragedy. These horses travel at high speeds. They are bred to be athletes. And just like you see a terrible downhill accident in skiing or see a terrible accident in race car driving, you understand that the people have worked that into the equation of being part of that sport. And they understand that it does not come without risks. And every day, when I'm in the paddock, the, only, the last thing I say to the jockey who's going to ride my horse is safe trip. Every time. Safe trip. That's, a, that's what we all want. And I think they do everything they can to make it that way. But at times, there's going to be tragedy that is inexplicable. And I understand from the outside, it looks callous. It looks inhumane. And I just hope it doesn't get to a point where it has to be changed because it's it, it, on so many levels, it is not only an exciting sport, it is a beautiful sport. It really is. It is in so many ways such an incredibly exciting and colorful sport to be a part of. It really is. I mean, you heard from Bill Parcells say that this was as exciting as winning a playoff game. Think about that. This is, he's talking NFL playoff wins, which mean everything. That's how big that grade one was to him at Saratoga with Mel. Because you get so wrapped up in their careers. And winning there 
is so special. And, you know, next week, we'll run some horses next weekend, and we'll run one in the four-star Dave, who won it last year. And if he's lucky enough to find a winner's circle again, you know what? It's a thrill that you cannot believe. The other side of it is just very hard to ever t- What we saw that day, hey, unless you just don't have a heart, you had to be just crushed by what we saw that day. No one wants to see that beautiful, talented Philly get hurt ever. I can't believe that we're not going to see that horse race again. That horse was a gorgeous, talented athlete. And she was a very special horse. I felt that from the first time I saw her race. I was there the first day she broke her maiden. She is a, was a special horse. And she will always be remembered for that. Mike in Woodcliffe Lake, why don't teams want to give Luke Voigt a chance? He's had solid numbers when healthy, and Leslie Yale and home is only three years ago. Feels like the Yankees gave up on him too soon. The Yankees have too many guys like him. That was the problem with Voigt. Not only Voigt wasn't the most consistent guy in the world, but the other thing was the Yankees have a bunch of limited right-handed hitters. They didn't need more of them. They already had a surplus of them. They have needed to get more balanced lefty-righty. Recently, Bauer's given them a lift. He's slugged very well in the times that he's had a chance to play. Picked up for Rizzo, who has obviously done nothing since the Tatis collision. If that's really the reason, I'm not even sure that it is, but it's the only explanation because he was having a very good year up to that point. Something happened that day. There a neck injury or something. Um, I don't know about the concussion that they somehow now conveniently, you know, rule that he had a concussion two months ago. Now they rule that. They didn't rule it then. They rule it now. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the whole report about Rizzo was almost mindless. I mean, you're going to now rule he had a concussion two months ago when you didn't rule it two months ago? He has no symptoms now, except he tells you he woke up and he felt foggy. Well, clearly he has not looked like himself at the plate, swinging at pitches that he would never swing at, uh, just having no power or movement in his swing. Something was radically wrong. I don't know what it was. Still don't. I don't know if they do. But they're now assuming we're going to go back and put a, a label on it because we have nothing else to do. We got to get him out of the lineup. Is he going to get better? I don't know. Is he, going to do, is he going to contribute this year? I don't know. But like I said, the Yankees have to find a streak. They have not been able to do that. The inconsistency in their play, but especially inconsistencies in their offense. But they now, with Cortez back if he's healthy, can put together a rotation that can be very good. And if they can get that to get a roll, maybe they can make a big run. But if you notice, they keep slipping a little farther back rather than getting, gaining ground. And they're getting to a point where they're going to make this exceedingly, exceedingly hard. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. 
If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.